The following podcast is brought to you by the Franchise Network and Podbean. Hello geeks, fanboys, fangirls, otakus, and nerds alike. Welcome to another edition of The Talking Pop. It is the podcast where we talk about movies, music, video games, anime, and more. And every time something new comes to the table. And of course, we are reporting live from the lair of the pop culture geek. I am your host, The Fanchise, and always joined by my brother, Biko. Hey guys, how's it going? And today, we're actually going to do a review for you guys. So this is a lighthearted episode, and I like poses the last one we did. Um, we are going to review the film Ready Player One. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, which is based on the novel, but written by Ernest Klein. So pretty much, we'll give you guys. We're going to warn you guys ahead of time. This is going to be a spoiler review. So yeah, we're going to spoil some of the movie for you. If you guys haven't not seen the movie yet, go see the movie first, and then come back and listen to our review. So this we're going to give you guys our opinions from both sides, what we like about the film, what we didn't like about the film, certain comparisons to the novel itself, and pretty much give you our overall scores based on what our views of the movie is. So I'm going to start off with to give you a bit about the plot. Like I said, Ray Player One's based on a 2011 novel, was written by Ernest Cline, who's known for, you know, he's been working in the video game business, and pretty much decided to write novels based on, you know, pop culture and video games. And of course, he's got two books out there, Ready Player One and Armada, and of course, it's possible he's actually writing, according to Den of Geeks article, um, he is currently writing a sequel to Ready Player One. But so far has been no confirmation if they're going to do a film based on the sequel yet. But going back to 2011's on Ready Player One, um, basically it is what it is. Um, it is, takes place in dystopian um, Earth, pretty much in the future, in the year 2045. And pretty much, you know, natural resources were wasted. And of course, you know, people are pretty much depending on virtual reality as we are today. Um, with this program called the Oasis, pretty much augmented reality and virtuality put into one. And, of course, this Oasis pretty much runs everything when it comes to ordering food, shopping, and, of course, education. Because now people go to school in the Oasis. And, of course, follows this kid, this chubby kid named Wade Watts, who pretty much uh, lives in this, you know, trailer park, domicile known as the Stacks, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And, of course, this is, um, of course, the Oasis is the brainchild of James Halliday and Ogden Morrow. So they're the geniuses behind this creation of the Oasis, but all of a sudden, you know... James Halliday is pretty much depicted in the novel as more like a Willy Wonka-esque character. So, pretty much what happens is he dies, but of course, everyone's in school at this time. And of course, people are crying because, you know, this is their escape from reality. And of course, uh, he decides to leave an Easter egg. Pretty much an egg, a golden egg behind. And pretty much, uh, they find these three keys. And whoever finds these three keys gets ownership of the Oasis. And pretty much they have to solve like challenges like puzzles, you know, quests. And pretty much like I said, it's every person for themselves. Pretty much for this grand contest to acquire the egg and get full control of the Oasis itself. Of course, it's not without villains. Of course, um, his villains are run by IOI. And of course, they're known as Sixers because pretty much they're people who go into Oasis, but they're being paid by corporate to go in there. And pretty much this company run by Nolan Sorrento. 
um, pretty much wants to get the egg for themselves and pretty much, you know, take over, you know, the Oasis for their own personal financial gain. And, of course, you know, Wade Watts being the gamer that he is and, of course, studying a lot of, like, pop culture and stuff based on Holiday's life and pretty much sets on his quest and he meets people along the way. And then the novel, of course, um, compared to the novel itself, it's like, there are some changes, you know, Ernest Klein did help write the, the screenplay for it. Of course, he had the services of Zach Penn help him out, who's known for writing screenplays for films. And, of course, Steven Spielberg directed the film itself, you know, and, of course, he was trying to get John Williams, and, of course, John Williams couldn't do it at that time. He was doing, he had obligations to another film. Overall, the overall score, the score of the film is good. So going back to the film itself, you know, based on the plot of the film, you know, it stars, you know, Ty Sheridan, as, you know, Wade Watts, also known as Parzival. And, of course, um, the other actors are in it. And, of course, I got um, Ben Mendelsohn as uh, the villain, Norm Sorrento. We got Olivia Cook playing Artemis. Dana Wave playing H. T.J. Miller playing Irock. Uh, Simon, Pleg, um, Simon Pegg playing um, Ogden Morrow. Mark Rylance playing James Halliday. Philip Sal playing Sho. And Wynn Morozaki playing Daito. And... Of course, Hannah John Camille as Fennel Zandor, the head of IOI's Operations Physical World, as well as their indentured service of programs. Of course, um, like I said, this is there's a lot of, you know, pop culture references on here, and, you know, it's like, one of these films, you know, I like the film personally. Um, it was really good adaptation, you know, when it comes to, like, translating movies to books. It's really kind of hard because you can only put so much. Because there's so much in the book itself that, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff in there. But, of course, with people's tastes of the time, you know, it, you know, you want to bore the audience. So I know, like, going into this film, I was like, oh, I read the novel. I know what's going to happen. I was going in there. But at the same time, I was like, let's see what interpretation that Spielberg and the author decided to do, especially going to a film versus, you know, coming out from a novel. Um, like I said, uh, like I said, Wade Watts, you know, I kind of identify with him as a character because, yeah, I'm like a little chubby, you know, I am trying to lose weight now, but I'm like one of those guys that like to delve in, I'm a video gamer, so I like to delve in the whole, um, playing video games and pretty much getting myself away from reality and pretty much into any fantasy world I'm playing in and pretty much my mind is focused, but at the same time, I'm trying to try to be away from reality, but at the same time not realizing, you know, reality is what's going on right now, not where, what's going on in the outside world. But it kind of speaks to me, and of course, you know, with the pop culture references, it kind of hits me a lot, you know, like Back to the Future, like the old 80s movies, which hit me a lot at that time, you know, growing up, you know, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know, The Shining, you know, like War Games, I mean, and of course, Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff. And, you know, there's Atari. I never got a chance to play the Atari 2600, but, of course, it's a reference a lot in the novel. It's home in the film also. Um, but as, like, being objective this film, yeah, I was not, you know, I was going in as an objective person, you know, trying to see, you know, what they did wrong, what they did right, you know, how, you know, the whole the dialogue between the characters and, the you know, the plot. If they maintain what the integrity of the plot was in the novel, that they focus more on that. Um, I would say the characters are great. You know, the interaction between the actors was phenomenal. Like, the dialogue was really good. Um, there was, like, no break in lines and everything. They took as much dialogue they can from the novel. But at the same time, there were some changes that I felt that, you know, I felt rushed. Because, yeah, there were some things, in, even in the setting itself, you know, 
the company RAI is based in Columbus, Ohio, but Way Watts lives in Oklahoma City. So I'm assuming they didn't want to like they had to put you know Way Watts in the same city as as RAI, which kind of you know disappointment because I would love to see him journey from one place to another. But of course, and the other thing that I didn't like either was the fact that they didn't, you know, Wade Watts was in the Oasis in school. But in here in in Ready Player One, kids were right in school, like in a physical school versus versus you know, doing a school in the Oasis. So that kind of changed that. But overall, like the effects were phenomenal. Like the CGI for the characters were great for the avatars for each of the actors was really great. I can tell they did a lot of the mocap work for it because I saw a lot of the behind the scenes footage, and they were wearing like those motion capture suits. But like I said, dialogue was really great. They put like a lot of references in there. You know, they references a lot of movies, which was kind of great. You know, captured that, you know, what the novel was. Something that, you know, grabs the readers, but at the same time grabs, you know, the viewers. And of course, it was cool seeing like the Iron Giant in there making an appearance. Um, like the film score was really great overall. And like the lighting, like I said, the visual effects. And of course, you had the characters from the modern age now, which I kind of was a little bit disappointed. They used a lot of modern characters versus what it was in the book because a lot of the book was more in the 80s but of course you know like i said this movie's made in 2018 so you have to use a lot of like today's pop culture to you know engage the audience because they had to have tracer from overwatch you had ryu from street fighter you, you had batman make an appearance you had uh sonic make a short cameo you had the battle toads you had the Master chiefs yeah, Halo, which was kind of like, okay, I understand. They, they had a lot Gears of, of War stuff, too. And they had, like, Gears of War, and then they had the weapons from Gears of War. They had the motorcycle from Akira, the film Akira, which was really cool. The DeLorean from Back to the Future. So it was a combination of the old 80s and, of course, today's pop culture, and which was great. And then you had Chucky make an appearance, which is kind of, it wasn't in the novel. Then you had the Gundam, which, thank God, made an appearance because that was one thing. I was going to film, like, in the book. In the book, uh, one of Wade's friends, um, Dido Show, uses the Gundam fighter. Yeah. But um, the only thing I was disappointed for the fact is, to give you a spoiler, um, if you read the book, that Wade was does not use the robot from the Spider-Man Japanese TV series. Because if you remember, I don't know if you guys remember the old Japanese 70s Spider-Man, he had like a robot, which looked like a robot that was summoned by Spider-Man. And he they didn't use it, but they did. So they did use Sorrento. They used the Mecha Godzilla, which kind of saved it right there. Um, I just felt the plot was more rushed. I mean, it, I would say they took the key aspects from the film, but they didn't like explore the uh, the things that was happening in the novel. You know, like H and you know H and Parzal have a falling out towards the middle of the book, um, and then you know Artemis and because the funny thing is Artemis and Wait. And Parcel never met in real life to almost like the end of the book, which was like interesting. But here in the game, it's like they met in, real, in the movie. They met in real life, so that was the one thing I didn't like too much. Is I understand, you know, they try to show more of the live action actors versus the game avatars. But promise, a lot of the book takes place, you know, in the Oasis. But I mean, there are some things like you know, another thing too. Um, um, Wade Watts does shave his head when he goes to this one place. So, yeah, he gets the suit and stuff, um, the upgrade suit. But that's all he had after he moves to Ohio. Mm-hmm. He goes into hiding. So, it goes in months. Like, like I said, the book takes place in months. 
But here, you know, try to cram all the novel into like a two-hour movie. It is hard. It is hard, but like I said, dialogue was great. I enjoyed the dialogue and the references. You know, they, there were some moments, there were some funny moments. And there were some moments that you really had to pay attention to the film and, you know, to understand the whole plot. Um, like I said, um, and of course, you know, Simon Pegg was in there, which was hilarious. It was a Ogden Moral. They kind of changed a little bit, too, because... Um, and of course the party scene they had, but like I said, everything was in the Oasis, but I kind of like for fact they explored a little bit of, um, Halliday and Marl's relationship. It was over a girl, so it was, like, that plot was in the novel itself. Um, the only thing I didn't like was the challenges. Yeah, they had the exciting race, you know, that was a cool scene, but yeah. mm-hmm. I think because of the copyrights and stuff, they couldn't get the war games because it's one of the challenges in the novel that you had to, you put, like, one of the characters, you had to, to get the first key, um... You had to play the part of Matthew Broderick's role in, like, war games. You had to recite every single line that the ma- the character says, and then you get the key. Which I understand because of the whole licensing and stuff, and the copyright, they couldn't get, you know, the rights to it, so that they kind of changed it to the race. And, of course, the second challenge was the pretty much like the Dungeons & Dragons-style type of thing, which, you know, they decided to switch that for The Shining, which is kind of cool because it gave a little nod to, like, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, you know, based on Stephen King. And I kind of like for the fact they gave the trivia saying that Stephen King did not like the, fi- didn't like the film version. And, of course, that, I mean, it did keep, like, the third challenge. The third challenge for the key um, was, you know, pretty much, you know, playing the game Adventure to find the Easter egg for the Adventure. Which was kind of cool. I kind of like that Cap Dash with the Atari 2600 when you find that last world. Um, the only thing that I did find this turn was that it was, um, most of the high five never met in real life. The only ones that ever met in real life were just H and, um, and Pars and Wade. They were the only two that met in real life. But they, I kind of like the actress who played H, who was kind of hilarious. She was cool. I seen her in Master of None. Great, great actor, actress. Um, and of course, um, Daito actually does not survive. In the novel, he does not survive. Just curious, if you haven't read the novel, this is a spoiler for you guys. Daito actually dies in the in, in the novel itself, and it's just show. And of course, show didn't like met them in real life. He just told him, "Hey, this is what happened to Daito. They found him in this building, and they pushed out the building, but they tried to rule it as a suicide. So I, I actually found him." So, yeah, Lois Renter was portrayed as the villain as it is in the novel itself. But, you know, like I said, um, before, then I'm just going to throw it over to Biko and see what he thought the like certain parts of the film, like comparison to the novel. Go ahead. Um, well, me, I uh, didn't finish reading all of it. I just went in with a few chapters, but I didn't. So I went in with this movie kind of blind again to what the source material was, but I kind of got, had the gist of it going in anyways, um, having read some of the novel. Uh, I thought the movie was just like a, what I thought it would be from a Spielberg movie. Um, it's really fun. I mean, just looking at all the animation was something that was incredible. Uh, and then not knowing... And then knowing some of the base characters, but then seeing how they roll it out, which was really nice... Uh, most of the time we were kind of in the Oasis world, which is totally fine, even though when we switch them back and forth, uh, they did a good job with kind of differentiating that, um, which in some movies they, t- they tend to not collaborate the virtual world with the real world sometimes, but then, I'm talking about movies from like the 80s, and, and as compared to now with all our damn technology, it's not surprising, and then even from a Spielberg standpoint type of movies, 
it's just it just screams his type of production. I mean, God, they spent their money on it. Uh, so it was really nice visually looking at it. Um, reminded me of a lot of like Avatar, the type of feeling of they're doing the best with what they have in the world like this. Even though it's beautiful in the Oasis, in the real world, it kind of looks like it sucks. And yeah, they're living on stacks on what our uh, what their world tends to reflect, which is a dystopian one in the Oasis, being this paradise of fucking video game dreams. It's like living out an RPG. So, I mean, who wouldn't want? Who can relate to that type of uh, type of general story theme of uh, escaping your escaping a a shitty world for a cool one based on imagination or whatnot? Uh, my overall take of the film was nice. I don't know. It was fun. It was a fun movie to watch. The plot's easy to get to into. The characters are pretty fun and all pretty diverse for the most part even when you re- meet them in real life so it was nice that we got to see both the characters avatars on screen online and offline from the oasis uh the plot's easier to follow like i said it's it's just a simple movie to get into that it's not too hard to follow the plot um the only problem i have with this movie really is just the pacing is kind of everywhere um but that's I'm not surprised if you are familiar with Spielberg movies, it tends to be like that, if it's not really a type of character that he has to build the world around, and in this case, since it's based on a book, it's and the guy helped write the screenplay, it was easier for them to kind of translate both sides of the story, and so people can kind of find the source material, as opposed to if he was doing another Indiana Jones with George Lucas, or whatever the case may be, or if he was doing E.T., where he's just creating this world, so we kind of have to follow every... We're at his whim. And in this one, if you go into the movie knowing the book, or having read the book, it's like you're just looking for... Like my brother said, now you're just looking for how they kind of pulled certain parts of the book out and how they're putting it into the screen. And I did like that I didn't have that, or that I pulled away from reading this book, because it... It's something I have seen before in other novels I've read in the sci-fi genre. It's not too different. Kind of, an, it's an underdog story. But like my brother said, um, I wish that they did make the character look more closer to the reality of kind of believing that he's this kind of nerdy dude. Because uh, I mean, the dude's like six four or something. And there's a scene where he does this ninja kick. I was like, what the fuck? How are we supposed to believe this guy's really nerdy and stuff? He's actually pretty athletic. He's tall as heck. And then. Uh, Artemis, right? Artemis, right? That's her name. Artemis. Yeah, yeah. She's and this one girl that she has this like birthmark on her eye, but then she's already like pretty cute for the most part. So the birthmark is just uh, yeah, you can look past it. Even the major character, you kind kind of yeah, it's not hard for him to look past because she's still relatively attractive girl. Uh, which is fine. I mean, I get it. Like it's Hollywood. They gotta they gotta have these characters not be ugly. All the way, they had to still be attractive, attractive and whatnot. But shit, oh, the one time they can do it, but it's okay. Other than that, I mean, I couldn't find anything too too wrong with it because it's just it's a pretty fun movie to get into, and it just hits in your nostalgic bone so much if you're into video games or growing up and kind of going through simpler times and kind of seeing how our world's changing right now. At least so, how social media is kind of. Uh, spilling over into the real world and how people's interactions have been changing or uh, it's just it's hard to differentiate that at this days and I think this movie kind of reflects that um, and yeah if you like Spielberg movies I mean why wouldn't you I would how would you not check this one out it's uh 
it's just a fun one to go to. And it's, I mean, other than the pacing, if you're used to the kind of, I want to say scene-to-scene jumping of other storylines happening that tie into the storyline, the Majors plot, if you're into that, then it's cool. Like you said, there's a lot of scenes, that race scenes remind me of, like, the... The pod racer scene in Star Wars is kind of... It's there, deferred as the plot, but it's just like, okay. This is a cool race, but yeah, it's it's awesome. Other than that, I liked the movie. I don't know. It was a fun one. What do you think? Like I said, overall, I did enjoy the film. Like I said, um... Alright, I did enjoy the film. You know, they took a lot of parts from the, from the, you know, it's like I said when I said before earlier, um, it is hard translation or waiting work into a film. You know, you have to take certain, like, like, parts from the novel itself and see how it can translate in film, like what you can do in film. Um, like I said, the characters are great. Like I said, well, my, you know, I wish the character, the actor, let me go on, the actor did a good job of playing Wade. I just wish, um, he looked a little bit more like identifying more with a like, standard geek is because the way he's depicted in a novel, he's like this chubby kid. Um, like I said, I just wish you know they kept the whole him not meeting Artemis until the end of the movie. But I understand you know they had to try to find a way for him to meet you know the whole love thing between him and Artemis, which I mean they they kind of rushed it in the film itself versus in the novel. Like they did, they had they liked each other first, but they had like a falling out letter in the middle of the novel and. I mean, it did change a lot, you know. Wade was actually the one that was actually trapped in the loyalty thing in IOI. It wasn't on Artemis. So Wade's the one that got captured, but of course they might want to make Artemis as like a damsel in distress. But kind of like for the fact, they didn't do that way, you know. They honestly you know, were kind of help, help change that to make Artemis like a strong female character because that's something that, that's going on these days. You need to have a strong female role model in these films, you know. They can't have women today as being the damsel in distress, you know. Women can take care of themselves now. Which is great, you know. I like, I mean, the only thing I really liked was, yeah, they had the high five meeting in real life, and they all survived. That's the one thing that was <laughs> yeah. interesting. They all survived because, remember, in the novel, Dido was the one that actually died, you know, wasn't show. And it's kind of funny. I kind of like the whole show, like that guy, <laughs> the character of the kid, saying, I'm just a 11 year old kid. Should I be watching this? And, like, it's kind of hilarious, you know. And, no, I mean, Ben Reynolds did a great job as Nolan Sorrento. He did a good job. And, you know, yeah, how he offered, you know, way the deal if you wanted to take it or not. It was kind of funny um, seeing this avatar for T.J. Miller doing the voice, even though we don't see his picture in real life. But it's kind of funny seeing this big brooding avatar, and it's T.J. Miller doing the voice of Irock, which is kind of hilarious because in the film, he's depicted as a mercenary, like a gamer mercenary in the Oasis, but in the book itself, he's like one of these guys from that goes to the same school as Wade Watts. He's kind of like the bully almost. Yeah, that's true. But I kind of like the whole relationship between H and... You know, H and Parzival, because I kind of like they kept that in the film itself. You know, they had the little... I was cool seeing their little hideout, which is actually depicted, like, in the book. They actually kept that to the T. It looks like a basement, and you have all the film library there. It had the whole video game system, the little TV right there. So it was actually kind of cool seeing that. They kept that part of the book itself. And like I said, the stacks was really cool how they were able to translate the stacks, which is really well done, um, how they captured that setting. But I just wish it was, it took place in all one city though, just in Columbus, Ohio. That's yeah. the one thing I'm kind of disappointed because, like I said, the book, you know, Wade was living in Oklahoma, then he had to travel to Columbus where Iowa was. But overall, it was a great film. It's a good film, but not so great. Um, I mean, it could have been better, you know, like I said, if, if the plot wasn't felt too rushed. But understand, you know, you try to condense everything to like a two hour film. So that's what really kind of. 
that's kind of sucks when it comes to limitations like that. You know, if you compare it to films like Lord of the Rings, where the films were like three hours long because the books were so long, or The Hobbit, you know, films like that, which are based on written works, it is kind of hard to condense a lot in a short period of time and what you could film, what you cannot film. That can be done. Um, like I said, the actors were great. The dialogue was great. Music was phenomenal. Um, I think the one scene that I kind of like from the... There's a few scenes I like from the film. Um, I'm just going to give you guys my picks for the favorite scenes. And then I'll have Beagle tell you what his were. Um, the one scene was The Shining. That's kind of cool. Like the whole Stanley Kubrick reference to The Shining. And that was really cool. And, you know, H, I see the two little girls and... Pretty much the two twins from The Shining, which was kind of hilarious how they were able to integrate that. And that was actually really kind of cool. And they took some plot in the hedge maze and all that stuff. Um, there was the race. I did enjoy the race. It was kind of cool seeing the racing. You know, they had Parzival driving the DeLorean. But his DeLorean had the little red flicker from Knight Rider. So it was kind of different. It had that kid from Knight Rider. And, of course, you had um, Arnus driving the red motorcycle from Akira. Um, and, of course, Ace was driving Bigfoot. The monster truck Bigfoot. It was kind of cool. And then you see when they're going through New York City scape, you see um, the King Kong. Then you see the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. So it was kind of cool. You see a little reference to like old films like King Kong. And of course, you know, it seems we were directed Jurassic Park. So you got to see that. Um, and of course, um, the ending was kind of like my favorite scene when they're in like the final adventure. And you had to go play it where Parzival had to play adventure and get the final Easter egg. And that was really cool. I uh, kind of like that, you know, the whole how he rallied everyone together to come into this one fight. It was kind of cool seeing the Mecha Godzilla fight, fight against the Gundam. That was kind of cool. And then you had Chucky come out, and the guy say, "It's fucking Chucky." That was kind of hilarious. He's a Chucky item, so it was actually really great. Um, I, that was the other scenes I like. Um, like I said, um, what, Beagle, what were your favorite scenes? Um, Dunning, yeah, it was pretty cool because it was just all out a bunch of fucking madness going around with all these characters from all these different games and people's avatars and whatnot. So that was really fun looking at the end. Um, another one I really liked was the... I, I guess when they're in the club one, because that just looked really cool in the way they were moving. All the CGI was really cool. So anything there... Every time there were no aces is my favorite part, because at least looking at how everything moved and how it was just all done. It was insane. Um, and then the racing thing, even though I did say that it was kind of cheesy, you know, they add another racing thing, because we always see a racing scene in any of these movies, but yeah, it was really cool, because it, they just, everything was a pop culture little nod, and, and you always had to keep track of what you're looking on the screen, but, um, what was the other part? Yeah, that was my favorite part, and at the end, like, every time, all that suspense of how they tied everything towards the end of, uh, trying to stop this guy from getting the last key and then they get to the fucking playing an adventure game and then doing all the puzzle things it was really cool so anything in the oasis is my favorite it's not so much the real world stuff just because it's, it's i know it's there but it's like yeah everything that was fun was happening in the oasis all right you gotta hear like i said there was a lot of like easter eggs i think they said it was like a hundred and something easter eggs in that film which is like it's hard to keep track um like i said um like in the book, I mean, they had certain ones. Um, they, of course, they had the three keys, the copper key, the jade key, and the crystal key. So, I mean, they, they kept the whole thing about the keys and stuff. And, of course, they kept the, the, the avatar for um, James Halliday. Um, so, Anorak, so they kept that. Um, and, of course, like I said, um, 
novel, they played video games. It was like the one thing was like that was the main thing they played video games. Like they had uh, Dungeon Dragons, they had Joust um, in the book, and of course uh, they did the D and D. Um, and like I said, they they go to school there, so it's like, of course, uh, uh, like Wade's thing was like they had like. They can't. They had can't use your, your gamer tags when you're in school. So I wish that was done in the novel, like they were in school. But mm. well, like I said, they had to take a certain part. You know, they had to like put him like he's not in school. He's just set in his own seat. But I kind of like for Fred. They kept that one part where he's in the secret spot when he goes gaming in the Oasis, which I kind of like. That they kept that part and go how he's living with his aunt or her abusive boyfriend. Um, like I said, overall, I enjoyed the film. Um, like I said, yeah, there was a few issues that I just expressed that I did say earlier, but it was enjoyable. You know, it's one of the few films I saw this year, and like I said, um, one of the ones I was looking forward to when it was announced a few years back that we're going to make a video, um, a film adaptation of the novel itself, and you know, it kind of opens the question you know, if they do Armada, that'd be kind of interesting too, because Armada is another one that has some references, but it's more. There's no quest, but, you know, I don't want to get into a model. It's a completely different... But it has the same pop culture type references, but that's something that can be done in its own film because that's more like a sci-fi as compared to Ready Player One, which is all about questing, while Armada was more about space shooting, pretty much. I can say for you guys, it's just about space shooting. Um, if I had to give a score for that for this film, right, for Ready Player One out of five, I would give it about a four. Uh, for being, you know, the pluses for me will be the visuals, the dialogue, and, you know, the music. That would be the pluses mm. for The minuses for the reason why I'm giving it a four is because, you know, pacing and the plot changes was that was pretty much the two minuses I gave was the, the, the plot change, the changes between the novel and the book, and then, of course, the pacing. Because, like I said, I felt that everything was rushed. Um, that's why I give it a 4 out of 5. Um, Biko, what would you give it? Based um, on your personal rating. I'd give it... Yeah, I, I'd give it like a... I don't want to give it a 4. I'll say like 3.8. I, I don't know why I'm being a dick, but... Yeah, just visually, it's crazy good. Um, and then the characters. I just like the characters pretty for what it is. Uh, I didn't give it a 4. I don't know, because... The story is just kind of there, and it's, it's bland, and then sometimes, and because of the pacing and the way they try to, it seems, yeah, they rushed it, it seems rushed, like, I can't fully want to get into the dilemma between his mom and his aunt, because they get killed off so fucking fast, like, they, they go back and forth with them, we kind of get the abuse because of glimpses of it, and we see that he doesn't like his his real reality, but it doesn't seem like it's that much of a deal, because you don't get a lot of it. And when you do get it, it's just very, like, hammed in, and it's just, it gets general shit, like, oh, but they still play the same game, and you screwed me. Like, it's just general, like, surface-level uh, antagonist type of deals that that had that are used as conflict things. Con- they're, like, conflict characters that, that don't really do much to kind of give you, to give you a sense of wanting to relate with the main characters. But that's just... I know that's not the... It's not even important in this type of movie, but... 
matter what, if you're going to use them as plot devices, at least make them strongly so we can make see that the character is sensitive to his fucking reality. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that bad. He just kind of has an aunt who is in an abusive relationship, but it doesn't seem like he's that abused by her too much. Like, she hit him, but he was talking shit, too. Like, he, at the end of the day, he had to respect him. He just sounds like a little whiny brat, to be honest. Like, his, yeah, he lost his parents and shit, but the aunt's doing the best he can. And he is, too. And then we, we see him seclude to his little secret layer of to play his games and stuff which is fine but that's why i couldn't give it a four because we needed more development in the characters for a spielberg movie it seems like that's not usually his problem with his characters we see him flesh out things but it could be a but like i said earlier it is different when he's working with source material and and working with the author as well so you kind of have you can't really stray the line too much we saw what happened with kubrick and king so like i'm sure he didn't want to go through that sort of thing and Maybe that's why he threw in the shining part. That was also one of my favorites too. So just like blending all that, but um, yeah, a three, like a three point eight out of five is for me. I definitely give it a watch. If anything, it's not a terrible movie. It's going to be one of those movies you'll see, and it'll go into Netflix, and it'll be great to watch on a Saturday afternoon when you're not doing anything or you're just resting a hangover or what, mind you, whatever it is. All right, so like I said, we do recommend watching this film. Like I said, check it out right now. Ready Player One is currently playing in theaters and IMAX. Um, that's pretty much what we got for you guys this week. Um, also, don't forget, um, we're probably going to do our next episode. We'll probably cover the Avengers Infinity War. So that's probably going to be a big one because, of course, we're going to try to see the film when it comes out. And we'll try to see if we can try to keep it spoiler-free. Because we want to give you guys a chance to see it and all. And, of course, you know, even the directors sent out a letter saying, telling everybody, um, please don't support the movie yet until everyone sees it. So we'll see if we can try to follow their wishes and try not to spoil the film too much. So that will probably be our next episode we focus on, The Avengers Infinity War. So, like I said, thank you guys for listening. You can listen to the backlog of The Talking Pop on Podbean. Just go to podbean.com. Search for The Talking Pops. You can listen to the backlog of the previous episodes. This is episode 10 now of The Talking Pop. Can't believe we made it to 10. Like I said, this is an independently run podcast. I'm not sponsored by anybody, so I don't have any obligations. So pretty much we do it do as we see fit. So like I said, I'd like to thank Biko for joining me today. Um, and as always, like I said, you can check out my my Twitter channel. My Twitter handle is at the franchise eighty five. If you guys have anything you want to ask me or Biko, you can use the hashtag Talk Pop. If you have a question, you know if, if you agree with our opinion of Ready Player One, you disagree it. Like I said, check check the film out first and then come back and listen to our review. Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash the franchise network where I put the links to the podcast itself from the page. You can post stuff on there on the page itself. Um, if you have a topic that you want me and Biko want to discuss in a future episode of the Talking Pop, if you want to hear our opinions about it, yeah, by all means, post it on there. Um, I do have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash franchise where I do a, vlo- a vlog, which pretty much is a diary of what goes into my life as the pop culture geek. So that's all I got for you guys today. As for the franchise and Biko, geek on and take care.